The following resource is brought to you by Real Life Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. We hope you're both challenged and encouraged by this message from Pastor Chris May. Today we're going to be picking up, actually closing out chapter 10, God willing, and uh, we're going to pick up in verse 34. I would invite you to stand for the reading of the Word of God. Matthew 10, beginning in verse 34. You have it? All right. The word of the Lord says this. Jesus says, do not think that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I've not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Whoever receives you receives me. And whoever receives me receives him who sent me. The one who receives a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. And the one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. Whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he is a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his rewards. This is the word of the Lord and you can be seated. Well, as we have talked about, Matthew chapter 10 in its wholeness is about the commissioning of the 12 apostles. So we could say that a lot of what we find in Matthew chapter 10 is unique to the calling of the apostles, unique to their, their lives, but what we have been looking at is there, there are a lot of uh, universal principles that apply to all Christians, all followers of Jesus, uh, all believers, and we want to focus on those truths. Here's what we know. You know, the apostles were called to proclaim the gospel. You and I, every one of us are called to proclaim the gospel, to preach Christ to the lost. Amen. Not only that, we are all called to live out the principles of the kingdom. We're called to, to, to live in kind of this upside-down way. Uh, it's quite different than the secular world lives. And so we're called to live in that way. And so then, you, you know, what we find in chapter 10 is Jesus is sending his disciples off on their first missionary journey. He's preparing them, kind of briefing them for um, what, is ex what, what they're going to experience as they take the gospel throughout the ancient world. Much of the chapter, much of what he says in this discourse is about persecution. It's like when you take the gospel out into the world, when you live by these values of the kingdom, people are going to hate you. They're going to reject you. And so that is the universal principle as well for all believers. You and I, if we live out these kingdom values, if we go about proclaiming that Jesus is the only way for life and life eternally, that he's the only way to the Father, friends, we will 
be resented, we will be hated, we will experience some level of persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12, I think we've got this on the screen. Paul writes, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Did he say some? He said all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. You know, well, we could argue that you know, when, when you look at the disciples and what they would face, I mean, they're going to be flogged in front of the synagogues. They're going to be uh, dragged before, um, you know, kings and governors. They're going to be beaten, and, and uh, most of them are going to, to die for their faith, and, and John is going to be exiled. And, and you think, okay, we're not going to experience that level of persecution. But I'll tell you this, we will experience at least, like I said, resentment, we will be deemed as bigots. We will be misunderstood. We will feel as misfits. It's going to happen. Let's give you an example. Just last week, you probably saw that President Biden proclaimed March 31st, 22, uh, of 2022, to be uh, Transgender Day of Visibility. Now, I want to be clear. We, we love transgender people. Uh, we um, we hate sin, but we love people, all people, and it is our desire that they all come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Amen? What we can say, though, is that the Bible does not support that kind of a lifestyle. God made male and female, man and woman, male and female, he created them. It doesn't make mistakes, and he gave us clear ways to tell whether or not you are a male or female. Okay? Very simple. The book of Isaiah warns, chapter 5, verse 20, that it's a, it's, it's a warning of impending judgment on those who would call good evil and evil good. And friends, that's exactly what our country is doing right now. It's not that we're t just tolerating evil. That's bad enough. But we're celebrating it. We're even encouraging it. You know, they're trying to teach your kids that this is something that you should focus on or, or encourage them in. It's, it's bringing confusion upon our children. It's, it's wickedness, friends. And so I'm not saying that we're out. We're not the kind of church out with picket signs and yelling hateful words at people. No, our, our approach is, is love and prayer and, and sharing the gospel with people, the good news of Jesus. But even so, just because we stand by and live by our own biblical values, friends, we're going to be more and more hated by the day. People tell us what? We're just old-fashioned. We need to be more progressive. Well, friends, the Bible is the same yesterday, today, and forever because Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So when we hold on to biblical values, we will be hated by, by this world. So... Suffice to say, persecution is inevitable. Aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> so, so what we're trying to figure out from chapter 10 here, this is another universal principle that was supposed to help the disciples and will help us as well. It's like, how do we respond to persecution? And we saw last week that we should respond to persecution fearlessly. We are not to fear the persecution of men and women. Because God promises, you might remember from last week, God promises that what's in the dark right now will be proclaimed from the rooftops. 
In other words, one day, uh, either in this life, but it's uh, certainly in the end, when Jesus returns, the truth will be revealed. And people who have rejected the gospel, people who have called us fools, people who have hated us, they will be shown that they were wrong, and you and I will be vindicated. We don't have to vindicate ourselves. That's why we don't have to be ugly towards other people. Vengeance is the Lord. Vengeance is the Lord's. And one day, justice will come. We will be vindicated. We don't have to fear persecution because we fear God. And uh, you might remember last week, I can't remember who the quote was from, but he said, if, if you ever fear the persecution of man, just think of the wrath of God. Because <laughs> Jesus said, if we deny him, then he'll deny us before our Father. We don't have to fear man. We don't have to fear man also because God loves us. God loves his people. And when we suffer, when we're persecuted, uh, you know, we're not left alone. God's spirit is with us. And I, I love over the last few weeks I've been reading story after story of men and women and even boys and girls have been, who have been persecuted throughout the ages. And it is so amazing as you read the accounts of their stories to, to sense the peace that they all have as they proclaim Jesus while being burned at the stake, while being beheaded, singing and smiling and sharing, proclaiming the gospel. Remember uh, last week and the week before I talked about John Rogers, the first martyr under uh, Mary the first, who at, at the stake is his 11 children were, were watching him uh, be set ablaze because of his Protestant faith. He lifted his hands in victory. It's an amazing thing. We don't have to fear persecution because we have the Lord and we're not alone. Amen? So this week, that was last week. This week, how do we respond to persecution? We respond with loyalty to Jesus. We respond with loyalty to Jesus. It means this, that we are to be willing to suffer for the sake of Christ. Now, I want to give some caution here because Jesus does not mean that we should go looking for persecution it's like when you get out of church today like don't go try to start something with the waiter you know like getting mad at you and just say oh I'm suffering for Jesus have you ever heard of the this uh psychological pattern that that they call the martyrs complex have you ever heard of that so it's marked by a life of giving and sacrifice at great cost to you it's like you want to spend and be spent for other people, but it's not for their good and it's not for the glory of God. It's so that you can always be seen as a victim. Like, oh, look how tired I am and, and, and look how poor I am because I've given so much away. You want to be seen as altruistic and you're doing it for your own glory. And it's, it's very closely related to what we call the victim mentality. You're always a victim, right? Well, we can kind of look at, at the martyr's complex through a theological lens. Because there are those who go, Christians who go looking for persecution. They want to stir up trouble so that they can look hyper-spiritual. They want to come to church and say, oh, let me just tell you how I suffered for Jesus this week. That's not what Jesus is calling us to. He, he told his disciples to expect persecution but he did not tell them to go hunting it down. As a matter of fact, remember in the beginning of, of chapter 10, and he said, I'm, 
sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. And he said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be uh, wise as serpents, remember, and harmless as doves. And he went on to explain himself. He said, listen, if you go to one town, or let's say you go to a house, they were going to stay in houses. They weren't booking hotels. They traveled around proclaiming the gospel. They were going from house to house. And they say, listen, if one house rejects you, if they're antagonistic towards you, move on to the next one. And if in, in a town, if you can find nobody who receives your message, what's he say? Shake the dust from your feet and go on to the next town. He said, my judgment's going to be on that town. So he doesn't say, listen, just stay there and just tell them to go ahead and beat you, you know, or whatever. He says, no, go on from town to town. But, so be wise as serpents, but don't be ugly. Don't be condemning. He says, be harmless as doves. So you get the balance there. So the main point today is this, that though we are not to go looking for persecution, you and I must be loyal to Jesus at all costs, which includes a willingness to suffer for his great name's sake. So there's two aspects of this loyalty that I want to point out today. Number one is this, loyalty to Jesus means loving him more than we love our own families. Think of that. Number two, loyalty to Jesus means choosing him over ourselves. How you doing with that? See, aren't you glad you came to church today? <laughs> like, man, I didn't know this is what it meant to be a Christian. Well, it is, but it's better than it sounds, I promise you. Number one, Loyalty to Jesus means we love him even more than we love our own family. So look at me, with me, uh, if you would, at verse 34. Kind of puzzling verse here. Look at verse 34. Do you think, Jesus says, do you, he's talking to his disciples, do you think that I've come to bring peace on the earth? I've not come to bring, bring peace, but a sword. You say, wait a minute. Like you're thinking back like Christmas was not that long ago. And don't we like quote Isaiah 9-6 where the prophet calls him the prince of peace? Don't, don't we always quote Luke 2-14 and you know remember what the heavenly host saying when Jesus was born? Glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards men. And then you might think of places like Ephesians 6-15 where Paul refers to to the good news of the gospel, listen to this, as the gospel of what? Peace. Well, that's interesting because here in Matthew, Jesus says, oh, wait, I did not come to bring peace but a sword. It's like, is he correcting the angels? Is he correcting Paul? Is he correcting Isaiah? No, the Bible is not contradicting itself. Here's where that tension comes. See, the gospel does bring peace. It brings peace between sinful man and the holy God. Are you grateful for that today? That's the peace that we need. It's this inner peace. It allows us now to be brought into God's kingdom and to boldly go to the throne of grace, to stand before a holy God. The gospel also shows us how to be in peace with other humans, namely by living out the principles of the kingdom like what? Love, forgiveness, humility, 
So the, the gospel teaches us how to have peace with God. It teaches us to have uh, peace with our fellow man. But it's like, well, then why is, there, why, why is Jesus saying I didn't come to bring peace but a sword? Well, there's a problem, and it's this. It's that the world system is extremely wicked, and man is extremely sinful. And consequently, many reject God's offer of peace through Christ. And so you have some, and hopefully all of you today, have received the gospel of peace. But maybe others in your family have not received the gospel of peace. Consequently, that can cause some tension. And cause quite a bit of tension. Let's look at now uh, verses 35 and 36. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. We get that one. And a person's enemies will be that of his own household. Christians, you should not deliberately be seeking conflict with your families. The Bible compels us to love our families, does it not? So it's like when you become a Christian, you don't disown your family. You don't cut them off. As a matter of fact, Romans 12, 18 says this, If possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Problem is, it doesn't always just depend on you. So what Jesus is saying, if uh, he's saying this, if because of our faith, conflict does arise, even within your own family, who do you choose, family or Christ? You choose Christ. I uh, often, I've done a lot of weddings in the 20 plus years that I've been in ministry, and in premarital counseling, I always try to drive home the principle of uh, a son leaving mother and father and cleaving to his wife. How many know that can be difficult? Because uh, a son gets married, and listen, he's had mama on his side his whole life. And he's a mama's boy, right? How many men, mama's boys in here? And so when he gets married, he has this tendency to still want to take up for mama. And, and you know, it's, it's tough to, to stand first with his wife. And if we're on, honest, mamas, it's hard for you to cut the umbilical cord sometimes. Amen. Come on, you know I'm preaching. Yes, and so it's like you want to, like, you have difficulty seeing son walk away and cleave to his wife. Because that's my boy. I gave birth to him, right? <laughs> See, it's getting heated up in here right now. <laughs> but here's the thing, folks, Listen. When a son takes a bride, he does not cut off his family, but that bride becomes his first priority in this life, second only to Jesus Christ. That woman becomes his priority in this life. It's the same wives for your husbands. I don't want to leave the husbands out. You're, you should be, put your husbands before your other family members. That's difficult. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So look at verse 37. This is exactly what Jesus is saying when it comes to him and your families. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. You've got to love the Lord more than your own kids. 
Throughout Christian history, you know, many people have had to make the tragic decision to be cut off from their families if, in fact, they're going to follow Christ. It's a great tragedy. This weekend, as a matter of fact, I came across this, uh, a story in the Morning Star News. Um, they told the story of 37-year-old Salamati Nabira. She is the mother of seven children in eastern Uganda. Three days after her conversion, her glorious conversion from Islam to Christianity, she made her way to a local community of worshipers. It was her first worship service, and it just happened to be Easter Sunday. While the worshipers were, were, were praising God, there was a small window in the church, and she looked out, and she saw a mob of people rushing towards the church. And leading the mob was her husband, her Muslim husband. And as they became closer, she saw many other Muslim family members. They stormed in the church with swords and, and sticks, and many of the church people fled to save their own lives. But a couple of the elders stayed around to try to protect her, but to no avail. They were overpowered. A very, very tragic story. Salamati was taken into this, forced into this van and taken to a nearby woodsy kind of area. She's pulled out of the van, beaten with sticks to a pulp. Her husband took a Somali sword and cut her deeply in the back, on the back and on the thigh. She began to bleed so profusely and the pain was so great that she lost consciousness. By God's providence, about 3.30 p.m. that day, a, herds, a passing herdsman found her lying in a pool of blood and was able to get her medical attention. But to this day, as far as we know, she's still cut off from her family, her children ranging in ages from 4 to 14. It's the cost of discipleship. You might say, well, that stuff doesn't happen here to that extreme. Well, maybe. But you know, there are many Christians in America who are shunned by their families because of their faith. John MacArthur tells the story in his commentary of, of one uh, young lady, very young lady, that he met at a, a Christian conference. And she came to him and she said, listen, John, I was raised in a very pagan family. And when I came to faith, I was cut off. My father refuses to speak to me. I don't know how old she is, but he calls her a young, actually, girl. Father refuses to speak to her. She said, you know, I can understand why he objects to my decision, because he knows nothing of the gospel. He thinks that all religion is superstition. But she said, you know, I would think at least he would be happy that I'm not an alcoholic or a drug addict or a prostitute or a criminal. And she went on to say this, quote, she said, I've never had so much joy in my life. And I've never loved my father so much, yet he has cut me out of his life, end quote. To this young person, like many others, she's experienced what Jesus is talking about, the sort of division because of her faith. It's like, what do you do if because of your faith, your spouse threatens to leave you? You choose Christ. What do you do if your beloved family threatens to cut you off and they cut you out of the inheritance? 
They don't allow you at, at holiday events, birthday parties. You choose Christ. You choose Christ. You do all you can to love and serve your, serve your family. And you do all you can to live peaceably with them. Unless that peace, hear me. Unless in order to keep that peace, you have to deny Christ. Then, you choose Christ. So there's a second aspect of loyalty. The first is this. Loyalty to Jesus means we love Him more than we love our families. Number two, loyalty to Jesus means choosing Him over ourselves. Let's look at verses 38 and 39. Jesus said, whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Crucifixion. It's a shocking metaphor that Jesus used to illustrate the cost of discipleship. And though he, uh, his disciples had not yet understood that he would be crucified... I believe they got the message loud and clear. And here's why. Romans took advantage of crucifixion, this horrendous form of torture and execution. So they made uh, crucifixion into kind of a public event. And the hope was that, that this way of killing people would be a deterrent to insurrection. That was their goal. And so Jesus' point here... The things he was saying to his disciples, it was clear. He was like, listen, you're going to follow me, and it might cost you your life. It will cost you your life. So taking up our cross, what's it mean? It doesn't mean necessarily that every one of us is going to be hung on a tree. But what it does mean in a metaphorical sense is that we must have a willingness to lose everything for the sake of Christ. I love what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I count everything but loss in accordance to what I've gained in Christ Jesus. So when you look at what you gain, it's actually losing nothing. <laughs> but there has to be this willingness to, to give away what the world loves, to be willing to lose those things in order to serve Christ. Many of you are likely familiar with John Bunyan, the, the Puritan preacher, I didn't say Paul Bunyan, it's John Bunyan, the, uh, you know, the lumberjack. But John Bunyan was a, the famous Puritan preacher. He was the author of the Christian allegory of Pilgrim's Progress. How many have read that? I encourage you to read that if, if you haven't. Bunyan was given the choice to either quit preaching or be imprisoned. Now, he knew if... if he was in prison that, yes, he would face great, um, a great deal of suffering and he would give away quite a bit and he was willing to do that. But beyond that, what really, this was a, a great, it really bothered him is the fact that his already very poor family would be left almost completely desolate and impoverished. But he knew that God had called him to preach and he knew as a, as a disciple that what Jesus asks you to do is not optional. You know, he, he doesn't say, well, would you like to do this? He, he kind of tells us what to do. And he knows what's best for us as well. And so, 
Bunyan was given this ultimatum. You, you quit preaching or you go to prison. He chose to, to keep preaching. He chose Christ. So he would spend the next 12 years in prison. And I want to read you what he wrote while in his prison cell. He wrote this, The parting with my wife and my poor children hath often been to me in this place, talking about prison, as the pulling of the flesh from my bones. And that, not only because I'm somewhat too fond of these great mercies, but also because I would have often brought to mind the many hardships, miseries, and wants that my poor family was like to meet with. Should I be taken from them, especially my poor blind child who lay nearer my heart than all I have? Oh, the thought of hardship. I thought my blind one might go under, would, wreck, would break my heart to pieces. But yet, recalling myself, thought I, I must venture all with God, though it goeth to the quick to leave you. Oh, I saw in this condition, uh, condition, I was the man who was pulling down his own house upon the head of his wife and children. I want to read that again. Oh, I saw in this condition, I was a man who was pulling down his own house upon the head of his wife and children. Yet thought I, I must do it. I must do it. Bunyan was willing to suffer for the sake of the gospel. And that's in part what it means to be a disciple. We follow Jesus. We proclaim Jesus at all costs. We serve Jesus at all costs. I love the hymn that we sang last week. I have decided to follow Jesus. And it ought to be our life song. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The second verse. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. And the world behind me, the cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Loyalty to Jesus means we love Him more than we love ourselves, which by implication means we're willing to give away our own personal comforts for the glory of God and the proclamation of the gospel. So lest I leave you with the challenges of discipleship, let me just talk to you for a moment about the rewards of discipleship, the positives of discipleship. Number one, there's a great reward for those who are willing to endure suffering for the sake of Christ. Because Jesus has said that in, in this willingness to lose our lives, that's when we actually find life. Because He is life. There is no life apart from Christ. And not only do we get life in, you know, here and life now in Christ and life abundantly, but we get life eternally. Amen? There's great reward for enduring till the end. And secondly, there's another reward. If we acknowledge Jesus amongst those who hate Him, 
Christ says, I will acknowledge you before my heavenly Father. Which means this. Being willing to endure ridicule, suffering, persecution for the sake of Jesus. It's a, a piece of evidence of our salvation. It reminds us. It shows us and it shows others that we truly belong to the household of faith. That we're part of the kingdom of God. And oh, I am so grateful that one day, if we will endure to the end, we shall hear those wonderful words, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Jesus said, if you will be faithful to proclaim me when they call you a bigot, when they call you closed-minded, when they say if you, if you continue to talk about Christ, you're going to lose your job. If you'll just keep preaching to me, one day you'll hear it. I will proclaim you. I will identify with you. I will acknowledge you before your Father who is in heaven. And then I love this. Here's a great positive that comes from our endurance of suffering. And it's this, that our endeavors to proclaim Christ to the lost will bear fruit. The word never returns void. So let's look finally at verses 41 and 42. The one who receives a prophet. Let's actually go back to verse 40. Whoever receives me, uh, receives you, receives me. Whoever receives me, receives him, him who has sent me. The one who gives a prophet, who receives a prophet because he is a prophet, will receive a prophet's reward. The one who receives a righteous person because he is a righteous person will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives one of these little ones even a cup of cold water because he's a disciple, truly I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. So as we read through Matthew 10, it's like, why proclaim the gospel before we get to these verses? Because... We're going to be hated. We're going to be rejected. Like, what good is it going to do? Well, Jesus said, whoever receives you, receives me, which means some people are going to receive you. They are going to receive your message, which means they receive Christ. So here's, what, here's the implication. When you endure persecution for the sake of the gospel, you are making an eternal, eternal impact on somebody's life the word will not return void what a blessing let me ask you is it willing to be ridiculed for the sake of a family member receiving Christ is it willing to is it, is it worth Losing a job so that a co-worker might know Christ. Oh, yes and amen. It's worth it a million times over. Festo Kivinier is a man who was converted to Christianity in 1939. And he became an Anglican bishop in Uganda. I don't know what it is with Uganda today, but here we are. He became affectionately known as the Billy Graham of Africa. He would go throughout the land preaching the gospel. He wrote a book about the suffering church in Uganda. And in that book, he told the heart-wrenching story of three Christian boys, ages 11 to 15. Three Christian boys. Now think of this. 
How many have teenagers or preteens? Okay. Three Christian boys, ages 11 to 15. In 1885, they were faced, these young boys were faced with an incredibly tough decision. It's either they renounce their faith or they are burned at the stake. The king who abhorred Christianity demanded they recant their faith or die. All three chose Christ. When they arrived at their place of execution, the boys asked that the following message be given to the king. Quote, Tell his majesty that he has put our bodies in the fire. But we won't be long in the fire. Soon we will be with Jesus, which is much better. But ask him to repent and to change his mind, or he will land in a place of eternal fire. The youngest of the boys named Yusufu said this, quote, Please don't cut off my arms. I will not struggle in the fire that takes me to Jesus. Because of those three boys' testimony that day, because of their willingness to pay the ultimate cause for Christ, 40 people that day came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then for years to come, multitudes were saved. May you and I serve Christ with complete allegiance. Being willing to face persecution and yes, even death if it comes to it. For the sake of the gospel. May we consider it all loss. Compared to what we gain in Christ Jesus. Whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for the sake of Christ will find it. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that every one of us in this room today are real followers of yours. I pray that each one of us have counted the cost of what it means to be your disciple. It means to endure suffering. It means to follow you when it's not comfortable. It means to follow you even when it might cost us our life. Embolden us by the power of the Holy Spirit. To be able to endure to the end. Thank you that we will in the days to come, even in our country, be very much hated and rejected by other Americans. Secularists, humanists. Thank you, Lord, that we don't have to endure that suffering alone. And thank you that we have a Savior who can sympathize with us in our suffering. Because he... Jesus Christ suffered a death that we could never even imagine. Bearing our own sin. Help us to give our lives, not for our glory, 
for your glory and for the good of others that they may hear the saving news of Jesus Christ. We pray that lives would be changed eternally. May we be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. May others see our good works. May we love, relentlessly love those who come against us. May the world see our good works and glorify their God who is in heaven. We pray all this to the glory of your holy name. Amen. We're going to open these altars. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to know more about how you can have a relationship with Jesus Christ, or if you have questions about our church, you can email us at info at myrealchurch.org. Real Life Community Church is located at 335 Glendon Avenue in Richmond, Kentucky. We invite you to join us for worship Sunday at 1045 a.m. or Wednesday at 7 p.m. Visit us online at myrealchurch.org.